Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hi, Brett. How are you? I'm well. And you? You're well. You had to think about it, though. Are you... Uh... Well, I was thinking of a word. Well is fine. Yeah. Can you come up with another one? Or? Fantastic. Fantastic. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. I am also fantastic. Oh, yes. You, <laughs> Can I feel I, like you just copied. Do like, I need I to have my own word, you think? Yeah, I, I do. Okay, then I, I am wonderful. No, that sounds better than fantastic. <laughs> we'll get to that. There's soon. enough room. Anyway, we have a guest sitting here, the poor guy. Our guest today is Stephen Taylor. Stephen is a financial planner and the founder of Merited Wealth LLC, which is a state of Florida registered investment advisor. He works primarily with partner level professionals, small business owners, and executives in all aspects of financial planning and investment management. But his background is deep and diverse. He's a lawyer by training who practiced at both traditional law firms and also at a big five accounting firm. But he also took an interesting path to financial planning, and I'm sure we're going to discuss that today. And he is also the host of a podcast called Do It For Yourself, which we'll also touch on today, I think. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. Excited to be here. We're excited to have you here. Welcome. Let's just start off. You went to law school, and you were going to practice law. You started at a big five. Yeah, so work? I'm not sure when you guys, you know, graduated law school, but when I graduated in the late 90s, mm-hmm. the accounting firms were really recruiting hard into right. law firms. They were in there and they were telling all these lawyers, hey, come to our accounting firm. We're doing all this great cutting edge kind of tax planning and tax work. And I remember in late 99 at Price Waterhouse, cash was flowing, this wonderful internship in Washington where we met the Speaker of the House and everything. It was really, really nice. And when I got there, you know, in the early 2000s, all of a sudden they started having me doing audits, mm. right? Because they had nothing else for you. And then they actually put me into employee benefits. And then my direct report was now in Atlanta. So it was a challenge at the big five, you know, accounting firm, that really big entity kind of really didn't fit me that well. Yeah, You went there thinking you're going to practice law, but that's what they said. Did you, did you have an accounting or a finance background from college? I had the that? accounting background. Okay. That's where they came in with that CPA background. Mm-hmm. They said, oh, lawyers, we have all this wonderful work for you. But no, at their <laughs> core, right, their accounting firms. Now they're all kinds of different stuff. But back mm-hmm. then there really wasn't that, you know, cool cutting edge stuff they promised. So then you made the move to a law firm? Yeah. So pretty quickly, you know, after that, this was a great story. You know, I got in there my first year review and they said, hey, Steve, you know, when we gave you this offer and you know, we're paying you X amount of money, that was kind of a mistake. What? Like, <laughs> we're paying you too much. This is at the accounting firm? This is at the accounting okay. firm, right? And so they say, so normally we would be at 8%, but we're going to give you 8% based on what we thought we should have given you. So it's going to be like 2%. This was my review and this was my thing there. And I said, you know what? Forget it. This is the how not to keep employee (laughs) portion of the podcast. Did you say forget it sitting right there at that moment? (laughs) Surely thereafter, right? But I'm like, really? This is all you talk? I mean, even if that is true, why are you telling me that, right? Why are you doing that? So real quickly, I said, okay, this is not for me. And so I went and found a job at a small boutique estate planning law firm. That was interesting. I really enjoyed that. That was more to enjoy the collegial atmosphere. I got to be a lawyer, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we started. You know, all we went through it for. But they were really focused on these high-end kind of international clients. I started to feel this urge, like I want to go out there and develop clients. I want to kind of do it for myself. But I didn't know anybody who was international and had a tax issue. Shortly thereafter, I had a buddy that was in financial services industry, and that really, really interested me. 
I started at the county firm 10 months, the law firm about eight months, right? That's how long I've had a boss for. But quickly what I did was I got out and not knowing any better, I went and started at a insurance company, right? Selling insurance because that's what many times financial advisors are represented as. Mm -hmm. So I'm starting to go down that road and trying to figure that out. But once again, selling this insurance, that wasn't really resonating with me as well. So whenever I sit down with people that say, oh, you're a lawyer, you know, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? And I'm like, well, of course I can, right? You, right? you go back and you research all like, so real quickly, I kind of migrated towards practicing law as to that first iteration of it. And that you practice elder care law? Yeah, or? yeah. I grew it. Once again, it was people that were calling me and saying, you know, can you do this? So mm-hmm. I grew it working primarily with like injury attorneys, working at guardianships, estates, special needs trusts, mm-hmm. Medicaid, Medicare planning, all the like. I grew that and became board certified in elder law. And, you know, by many accounts, I had a really successful practice, but it wasn't doing it for me. I always had this love of this other business. Right. So I would think that elder care law, especially in South Florida, would be a really hot area. I don't know that many. I know a couple of people that do it. So. And a few and the ones that actually know what they're doing, right? Many people say I can do it. In fact, when I was first approached by it, yeah, you know, I could work with people that are older, right? But the nuance of it and the specialty of it, it's very, very specific to know what they're doing. So there are a decent amount of good ones. They're mostly in different parts of the state. And there's a really good network for that. But yeah, it's fairly an easy area to find clients in. Well, and there's been an evolution on the legislative front, right? In giving more protections to the elderly in the state. And yeah. so as a practicing lawyer in elder law, you'd have to know what those protections are, the laws provide. There's enhancements, I think, right? For damages or Absolutely. against all right? Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of those features and a lot of things that was interesting. One of the injury attorneys came to me one day and he said, Steve, you know, it's becoming harder and harder to resolve. It's like the settling of the case, Mm -hmm. the actually getting the defendant to pay a number. That's easy to get this from there to close is becoming so difficult. Like there's so many different issues. There's liens and all these other items. And so the nature of me was I always felt like I was kind of a problem solver. So I took it upon myself that all these issues that are running into, Mm -hmm. I would go learn them. Now, it doesn't mean that I did them all. I would find the proper people to bring in right. to get it so that I guess I got kind of a name known that when the client, when they would settle the case, they'd bring it to me. I'd bring in the other players. It's a rush to settle, right? Because once the injury attorney has gotten the settlement, hey, I just want to get the check. Let's, let's, the let's, money, get this, right? sure. let's get this moving, right? And I got pretty good at really helping them resolving all the issues and getting the checks in. So then you migrated from elder law. Did you migrate then to investment, to be an investment advisor? Yeah. So, you know, I had this desire to do it. I got my certified financial planning certificate. And that first iteration when I was at the insurance company, I really found that uh, really interesting. But I didn't go directly. Didn't you take a detour through Shark Tank somehow? We took a detour yeah. through Shark okay. Tank. Can you tell us about yeah. that? Yeah. So my wife is a creative, honestly, she's a creative genius, right? She's an artist. She has all these different ideas. And one day we're on a plane with our second child and she's just a mess with his spit up and everything on it. (laughs) And she gives him to me and I have like a polyester kind of golf shirt on and he spits up on me and we wipe it off. And she's like, wow, someone should make a bit out of that. And so she did. Right. So it's like dry fit material, dry fit material. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, the materials was kind of the secret sauce, but we were able to get a patent on the design and everything like that. We were the ultimate bid. We were not the super bid because we got got a cease and desist when we use that (laughs) one. Right. But uh, we were the ultimate bid. And yeah, she put it out there and she literally sent a video to the producers at Shark Tank. And within a month and a half, we were out in California. Nice. And you guys appeared on Shark Tank. We appeared on Shark Tank. Most people forget that I was on it. (laughs) Were you the model? Were you wearing the bib? (laughs) (laughs) That was a big area. People wanted the adult bib, right? That goes into the aldercare part. 
So what it was is on the TV show, she was showcased. I wanted her to be showcased. This was her thing. We went on there. We went out there. And, you know, we had this idea. Like, I think we were one of the first Miami entrepreneurs to be out there. This is 2013, I think Mm. we aired, right? So this is not yesterday. Since then, there's been a lot more, you know, entrepreneurs. But we went out there and we made our pitch. They come back and they say, hey, listen, get ready for this, right? Because up to that point in time, all the entrepreneurs that had been on it, Mm -hmm. they said, listen, everyone's website has crashed because of the traffic. So you guys get ready for that, right? So I started learning a little bit about that. But the show airs and my wife was selling about three or four bibs a month prior. That month, we sold over 2,000 bibs. Wow. I mean, it was just a, a factory and everything. That was a lot of fun. And I pursued that for a little bit, but more than anything, that was kind of my story to leave the law. That's exciting. So from there, you started Merited Wealth. So there I go through this a little and I look into that business and she's a creative. By that point, I'm a lawyer. You know, I understand the law business, but boy, is this business different. And shortly thereafter, we settle in and we had some savings. I decided I'm winding up my law practice. Everyone knows my ex-partner is extremely happy. And when I sit back and say what I want to do, I want to get into the financial advising. I want to get into the wealth planning be less transactional, more relationship-based, and really help people throughout Mm -hmm. those different stages. And so that's where I start. That's going back about eight years now. So I I launched it out right out in Bushy Tail with zero clients. Wow. Eight years later. And so I imagine your law, accounting, elder care, you know, that background has got to be helpful to financial advisory services. It's really helpful. See, there's a lot of different people that call themselves financial advisors out there. You know, you can get paid a lot of different ways. So I've since made a decision I'm not going to get paid on anything that's commission-based, not because there's anything inherently wrong with it. It's just, it's a challenge, right? It's mm-hmm. a challenge with those. So it's all advice-driven. So you go through, and when people come in and they sit down with me and, you know, they want to get advice about whether they're budgeting, their investments, their tax planning, you know, then we start talking about estate planning, asset protection planning, all the like. It's really different. Because it is a lawyer, a formerly board certified lawyer, you know, in this area talking about it. So that advice really does carry a lot more meaning with it. And it really is, it's kind of one of the competitive advantages. So now do you, sitting with your clients, and I know, like you said, there are people who call themselves financial planners, but are not really financial planners. They're really either stockbrokers or they get you into the market and they place your investments. But do you also have that or do you do that? Or do you hook up with somebody who could help? the client do that? So great question. Great question. We do that. We do that. And the industry, I guess a little background on the industry, whether it's someone at Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley or whatever it might be, there's relationships on the front end, the advisors working with the clients, Mm -hmm. and then there's platforms on the back end that help you structure where do you put the money? Where does it get held? What are the strategies that you're in? So I partnered, you know, and we work with a big platform like that where Mm -hmm. we help design everything for the clients, but we actually do the investments for them. So that's a big part of what we do and how we get paid. But then we take it the other way, like the financial planning side is we say, hey, listen, we're not just looking at your investments. We're looking at your holistically, your entire, you know, your entire life. We're looking at, are you married? Your kids, are they going to college? Where are your insurances? Where are all those different things? And then what I like to say is if you really put the work in on the front end, on the mm-hmm. planning side, then the investment, it tells you how to invest, how you should be investing if you've gotten everything sorted out correctly on the front end. So clients coming to you, what can they expect in terms of the information that you may provide once you sit down with them and go through all of that? Do you yeah. come up with a plan? Do you come yeah. up with buckets that then they fill? Like, Yeah, it- yeah. Great question. So I try to really make it simple, mm-hmm. right? If you go to our website, you'll see we have something there. We work really hard. We create a one-page plan. Mm-hmm. Right. Because really, I mean, you guys know you work with clients all the time. If you go too much into the weeds, you're going to lose them. 
They're not going to remember what you're saying. They're going to lose you. So the end product is that one page plan, but we collect all their information, right? And we just get their priorities and we identify those. One of the biggest things we do, which I find is really interesting and the most powerful, which is often worth what they pay for the plan, Mm -hmm. is we put all their information together on one page so they see what they have. Mm. I don't care how how successful they are, how smart they are. Nine and a half out of 10, they don't have an idea where everything is. And so that's where we help to put that together. And then once you start, you match what they have to what they're trying to do. You connect those dots and that's where the light bulbs really start to go off. Because so many of them have different segregated people and they're trying to sit in the middle. They don't ever really feel a total comfort, but that's kind of how we do. And I really try to keep it just really simple, hit the high points. That's what people need to know. And then you just help them commit to that. And then does some aspect of that involve the sort of estate planning, setting up the trusts and the wills and all the other stuff? Or Yes, we're, you're I'm, not I'm, able, I'm able to do it for the clients, depending on, we're able to do to a certain degree, right? That aspect, we have that skill set. Since I'm a truly independent firm, an RIA, I operate just like a law firm, right? Mm-hmm. We charge fees and items like that. But depending on the complexity and what the client's relationships, we may do it for them simply, or many times we'll refer that out. That's an easy referral. And those are conversations that are really powerful because we know what we're talking about. Right. Now, you took a circuitous path to this. You know, you dabbled in law, accounting, if you will, financial advisory, entrepreneurship, but you found your passion was something that you had stepped on along the way. And I'm curious if you would recommend to young, you know, college age kids who really aren't sure what they want to do, because it sounds like maybe you weren't sure. Maybe you're still not sure. I don't know. (laughs) Would you recommend law school going that path? Because it sounds like that was a great background for you, even though you're not, you know, that wasn't your home. That's a great question. I ended up going to law school simply put because one of my undergrad professors said, hey, I don't necessarily want to be an accountant. They say, oh, become a tax lawyer. I'm like, okay, what do I know? You know, to kind of go that route. What I will say, is, as you guys know, right, the effort of law school is it teaches you a different way to think. The practice of law is different than the process of law school. So I would say if someone's unsure of what they want to do and they want to look at different options, I think law school is a great path. Because when you get that JD, maybe not Esquire, right? You don't necessarily have to go and take the bar. But if you get that JD... Lots of people in different industries know that you just have a different way of thinking about things and going about that and analyzing it. So that's very, very valuable. If you could be patient, speaking to this younger person out there, I would do it because a lot of people, it happens, people will go start working and they go back to law school, but that's the exception. Once you've gotten out, you start working. If you get married, you have kids to go back to law school. That's not going to happen. I think it's a great route. Listen, hey, practice law. I mean, look at you guys. You're successful. You're very happy at it. It could be an absolute route, you know, for most people. It just wasn't for me. The listeners can't see the facial expressions. <laughs> Depends on the day. Yeah. No, but obviously You're overall, wonderful. You're I mean, fantastic. What do you mean? I, well, yeah. right. No, no, today. Today, right. right. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously with any profession, right? Depends on your path. But the practice of law can be a successful path. By the way, that doesn't just mean dollars. I mean, there are people who are super successful that are in the public sector or that have risen to the bench yeah, or in academia that are very successful as well. Obviously, the cost of law school could be an impediment to some. And so if you're thinking about going to law school and saying, well, I don't know if I want to practice law, but I think I need it. I'm sure that there is that calculation that's out there. You touch on an item, you know, when I sit down and start working with clients, you know, we all have our biases and our preferences, right? And the cost of education, man, you nailed one. I was just having this conversation this morning with an attorney, with his child, actually, who just 
got into University of Florida, where my son is. Go mm. Gators. Go Gators. Right? Go Gators. Huge yeah. Gator. Huge yeah. Gator. And he's saying, but if my son had gotten into, name it, top 10 school, oh, there would have been more value going there. And I'm like, really? If we, you know, we really started getting into it. I love reading books for anyone out there our age with kids looking down that path of mm-hmm. applying for college. There's a great book called The Price You Pay for College, which is a New York Times bestseller out there. It really goes through the whole process mm-hmm. of it. But he talks about the value of that and the value of these educations and really where is going to be the best place for your child as really a starting point to figure out where they want to go. Because I don't know about you guys, but mm-hmm. going through law school, I thought, I guess I'd be a lawyer, but I wasn't fully committed to it as we see today. I was committed to practice, but I thought I was going to do something different in the practice, not being a litigator. What did you, you think? Bankers. I was a finance major in college. So I was like, oh, I'll go to law school and maybe I'll be an in-house lawyer. I'll do transactional work. I mean, could you imagine me doing transactional work now? It'd be just <laughs> devastating. But yeah, I mean, and I sort of got to the path of litigation and circuitous route during law school. So. Yeah, you got to go through it. My wife and I talk about this all the time. Jeff, you're reading my background. And a lot of those, I learned a lot. And almost every stop I have in my career, I bring some of those skills to the table. But through that path, I learned a lot of what I don't want to do. And I think that's more than anything. It's like people say, follow your passion and stuff like that. Well, I don't know. Where should I end up? But if you start crossing stuff off, that's a great route as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely value in learning what you don't want to do. Try it. Yeah. Like you said, if you have the opportunity to try it, try it. But you could always do something else if you don't like that. Yeah. 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 I think it's on this same topic. It's it would be a tough calculus to say, okay, yeah, I should spend whatever, 150000 I don't even know what the cost is anymore, mm-hmm. to go to law school or would that time be better spent doing something else? If you're not sure you want to be a lawyer, it's a tough calculus. I'll share with you a story, right? I've always had the people will come and sit down and talk with me and for whatever reason, how I am, they're, they open up to me and you know they seek advice. That's what we are, right? Advisors. So I was sitting with this relatively young lawyer at lunch one day and he's looking for a little bit of financial advice. And he's like, yeah, I went through law school. He went to a Northeastern law school. He has over $200,000 of student loans, right? That he went through this law school. Mm-hmm. And he says, Steve, you know, but I always wanted to just be a teacher. And I went to law school because that's where I thought my parents wanted me to go, right? We're all guilty of that, right? We're all fulfilling that with the parents. And he's like, you know, what should I do? And I'm like, oh man, you're in a tough, tough spot. I wish I could jump in the time machine. <laughs> before you signed on for those loans, have this conversation with your parents, right? And maybe be honest with yourself, you would have changed a lot of time and effort in it. But yeah, it can be tough going down that path when you really weren't sure or overly commit to something like through student loans. That's where I am on that, on the college education. Sure. If a family has the money and wants to send their child to whatever's awesome, awesome, wonderful, you earn that privilege. But if either the parent or the child are going to be saddled with student loans yeah. before the, really the child even knows what they're going to do, that's the challenge I have with that system. It's a great assessment. So yeah. this individual, are they going to stay in the law, pay off the student loans, and then go teach? Or I think they, he uh... went. No, I think he <laughs> went. And they were a two-lawyer family, and the wife was rising, and she was doing well. So I think they found out a way to do it. But listen, yeah. that's going to cramp like the size of house you can purchase or savings you can put away for your kids. Those loans are going to be with them for a yeah. long time. He should write a book, get yeah. all the royalties, and then teach. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I, you know. I'm curious if that's a conversation you have with your clients about not just them, but their next generation, their kids, and as their kids are aging up, or if you've encountered those types of clients yet. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I have a thought about it, right? I talk to them all the time about where they're going. And like I said, if you've properly planned for it, 
that's fine if you go that way. I compare them to like companies, right? Like, you know, you want to be, I call it public ink versus private ink. If you're public ink and you believe in the public education system, you're going to commit, you're going to send your kids to public schools where I sent my kids. That wasn't the way I was raised. And then public high schools and then, and then colleges. That's great because you're going to make that choice. You're going to put money in different locations and stuff like that. And that's wonderful because you're committing to that, but you believe that. Now, if you're private school, Inc., there's no problem with that, but you have to allocate a lot more of your funds earlier on to that and to put that in there. And I start from the premise and people will go back and forth. Like I said before, if you can believe and understand there is no qualitative difference between a very good public education and a very good private education, start from there, right? And then whichever path you go, that's great. But if you go down public, Inc., and then at the end you switch to private, Inc., that's where the loans come in. And that's the problem. So I kind of tell them that if you've made the proper planning, go for it. But don't just get all emotional that, hey, listen, that's wonderful. Your kid gone to Harvard. Congratulations. They worked very hard. And the parents come and say, well, that's the child's dream school. Is it the child's dream school or your dream school? Or your dream school, right? I had one parent tell me, I don't know what to say. My child, they're coming out of dental school and they're $400,000 in debt. What do I tell them? What should I do? I'm like, well, I'm going to put you in my yeah, time machine wait, again. Now, yeah, they're 400, at 400 now. Yeah. <laughs> wow, no. I'm going to smack you. I'm going to yeah. say, go back seven years and yeah. parents tell your children that, hey, listen, look how this plays out, right? That debt, that's not because right. an 18 year old kid, they have no idea, no idea. what debt means. Right. They have no but idea. But if it's their passion and they have well, it, then right. It'll yeah, and they're going to end up right. like if they make that decision, right? Okay. I understand. Great. Now, if you have all that debt, listen, right. you have to, a certain lifestyle and you have to go that route if they yeah. want to pay that off, but then walk them through that. Those yeah. are the hard conversations to have in there to get them really where they should be. And it's not about, yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. You got into an Ivy League school, but what's your situation? What's going to be the requirement? If you get lots of grants and different things, wonderful. Like mm-hmm. what's the true cost to you? Because that's going to play out for years and years after. Yeah, that's crazy. I would imagine your clientele ranges in ages. I know that for me anyway, and I know for a lot of young people you talk to that maybe either don't have a family yet or just starting a family think, I haven't accumulated any wealth yet. I can't put a lot away. I don't need a certified financial planner or an investment advisor. What do you tell somebody who says that? I was just having that conversation this morning because someone, you know, there's different terms for this, for what I do. And we say, you know, a wealth manager and the immediate response is, well, I don't have wealth. Right. 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 <laughs> well right. built. I personally, I like to work with people really that want the help. They want the help. You know, listen, they have to have some means, they have to have some income, sure. but they want that help. And then at each stage of life, I think there's great ways, there's good decisions to make, mm-hmm. and you can benefit from the guidance. The key is whether the people really want the guidance and really want the advice. There's lots of different wonderful services out there. There's one part of the business called financial coaching, which may be for that person. If they're just starting out, like, hey, how do you max out, you know, your 401k right. work benefits, right? I think I overheard a benefits meeting earlier today. Those are good decisions you can make there. And then as you go on, the decisions are going to get more complex. So many people, I'm happy to have conversations, probably like you guys, right? Mm-hmm. They call you for some legal advice. Hey, do A, B, and C. And then this continues to go downhill and you really need me, then come back, right? right. And so you have those conversations and then they come back. Hey, listen, I got the big bonus. I'm now at a job. I went in-house, right? I got my stock options. What do I do with it? Right. If you're looking for advice and there's, listen, I do my practice a certain way. There's many different advisors out there that are fee only, don't invest money at all, right? And give that advice. And that's a wonderful solution. It's not just these people at these big institutions with million dollar minimums that you think, 
you can't get advice. There's plenty of advice out there for people that want it. Yeah, I agree. And the problem for us is most of those clients that we talk to and we tell them to do A, B, and C, they call us a few months later and they're like, well, we did X, Y, and Z. (laughs) Well, now you really need us. And now now your options are dramatically limited. We dug the hole. Yeah. And we kind of fell in. Yeah, we told you to stop digging and you kept digging. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us real quick about your podcast, Do It For Yourself. Yeah, the Do It For Yourself podcast. I really like it. I appreciate being on here. I'd love to have you guys on mine one day. But so basically, you know, you see my background, right? I've started all these different businesses. So I like to bring business owners onto the podcast, whatever. I tend to get a lot of lawyers, you know, because that's who I know. But to say, hey, listen, you're running your own business. What have been some of the challenges of it? What Mm -hmm. have been some of the successes? What would you have done differently? What would you advise to different people differently? So that anybody listening and they're thinking about going out and doing it, right? That hopefully this would be of some value to them, right? Some lessons learned. I don't know about you guys, but I know, unfortunately for me, I learned all my lessons the hard way. I know I'm stubborn, right? To go through it. But that's what we try to share, you know, on that. And if there's a topic, if someone listens to this and say, hey, I'd love to hear someone in X industry talk about challenge Y and stuff like that. I'm always open for that and loving to have those conversations. Cool. We'll put a link to the show and we hope to join your show one day. We'll put a link to your show in our show notes. Perfect. So if you enjoyed this show today, please share the show and leave us a review. Subscribing to the show and leaving reviews will help other listeners find the show and will help us grow and produce better content and have fantastic guests like Steven on. Steven, thanks so much. Nelson, thank you. And Brett. Most of all, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank Steven, you. For thanks being, for coming, Nelson. Thank you for being fantastic. Thank you. No, you. Thank <laughs> you for being Fantabulous, guys. Fantastic. Fantabulous. Oh, you can have that yeah, one. Can have thanks for being wonderful. <laughs> for more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at FastAmron.com.